Okay, this week, this month, we are going to be going through the life and teachings of Jesus Christ as we look and refocus on Good News Bible Church's uh, vision statement. Our statement, uh, um, our vision statement is we seek to be a diverse family of believers, reconciled by God, impacting the lives of people in Logan Square and Humboldt Park communities and beyond through the gospel of Jesus Christ, accomplished as we see every person connected, discipled, transformed, and on mission. Today, we're going to be looking at that aspect of transformation. As we come to Christ, he transforms our lives. And today, we're looking at that grace that restores and transforms us. In each sermon this month, as we go through this vision uh, refocus, we're going to finish up a little bit early because we have some very specific steps we want us to take as a congregation. So, so we'll finish up so we can interact with you on that. Well, several years ago, I'm trying to think, maybe about 20 years ago, not 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I guess, Jared, my younger son, was probably eight, nine years old, and Zachary was probably 12, and we joined in with the Strands and the Floreses, and we headed off to the Boundary Waters in Minnesota, U.S.-Canada border. And after a full week of canoeing, having a blast, a storm came up the last day. There were four canoes. And I remember, as we were crossing this larger part of the lake, the storm came, and it was raining, and it wasn't like a super bad storm, but we're in canoes, and the, the waves were coming in at us. And pretty soon, I saw Nathan, I think, and his canoe were out front, way out. And then there was a second one. And then there was a third one. And finally, Jared and I were last. And these, the water was coming in, and, and I, I was paddling and paddling and paddling. I wasn't moving. We were not going anywhere. Thoughts began to enter into my mind. Is this going to end bad? Is the water going to tip our canoe? And my fear was this, we're going to drown because the other guys couldn't come back. I was talking to Jared about it yesterday, and of course he was eight or nine years old. He says, Dad, there wasn't a storm. It's just a little bit windy that day. <laughs> I thought we were going to drown. Was well, I was reading through the last chapter, or last part of chapter four in Mark, which gives us a context for chapter 5 that was read earlier, I couldn't help but think about that canoe trip so many years ago. In chapter 4, Jesus had been with the multitudes and he was teaching. And he says to them, though, as he often did, he says, let's go across to the other side of the lake. They left the crowds and it says, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking the boat so that the boat was already filling, and Jesus was asleep in the boat. 
It says that the disciples woke him up and says, You don't care that we're drowning? Jesus woke up. It says that he rebuked the wind. And he said to the waves, Silence. Silence. Be still. And suddenly the wind stopped. There was great calm. And the disciples were absolutely terrified. And they said, Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And notice, there was no sweat on Jesus' brow. He didn't roll up his sleeves. He wasn't thinking like I was thinking, Man, this is a big storm. What am I going to do? No, not at all. He just said, Silence. Be still. And it was quiet. Totally calm. Well, by the time the storm was over, it was getting late, and the disciples think about what they've been through. They're physically exhausted. Mostly they're spent because they thought they were going to drown. And they start thinking, we're headed to Gerasim. As they're heading in that direction, the waters are calm, and if there was a bright moon that night, you probably could have seen your face in the waters. It was so calm. But then suddenly, you probably heard in the distance a sound, a sound of a man screaming at the top of his lungs. Some say it sounded like an animal howling. Before the storm, Jesus had told the disciples, let's go across the lake to the other side. And this may not sound like a big deal, but for the Jewish person, it was a big deal. Why? Because this was Gentile territory. It was unclean. It was unsafe. And after a night that they'd just gone through, the last thing they wanted to do was to go into this territory. But who but Jesus... We want to go there. That is where this passage begins. We'll read again. Let's read Mark chapter 5, 1 through 13. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Christ had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure, or I beg you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. 
and he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. An unclean spirit came out and entered into the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. I think our tendency too often is to focus on this demoniac, when in reality it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and his power to restore and to transform people's lives, people who are helpless and hopeless, people who have been dehumanized by sin and can't fix themselves. Sin dehumanizes us. We may read this story and think we have nothing to do with this man, but the reality is that sin has broken and bruised each of us, all of us. And we were all hopeless without Christ. And maybe sin hasn't affected you as dramatically as sin affected this man. But I want us to see that we are much closer to this man than we might think. I think that we see in this demoniac what sin does to people. We can see our story and his story. Mark makes it very clear in his gospel that even though we have been broken by sin and its effects, that Jesus seeks us out. He stands ready to save us from our sins. Jesus, in the same power that calmed that storm, in that same power that healed this demoniac, is ready to heal, to save us from our sins. Jesus Christ pursues us. He transforms us when we surrender our lives to him. He gives us value. And just as Jesus Christ pursued this demoniac, he pursues us. It was, after all, Jesus Christ's idea to leave those crowds and to go across the lake to this man. In this passage first, we see the depth of sin's destruction. In verse 2 there, chapter 5, it says that when Jesus stepped out of the boat, this man from the tombs met him immediately. What did we learn about this man as we have read? I think there are five or six things that we need to note. First, he was naked. And you may say, well, it doesn't say that he was naked. But later on, toward the end of the passage, it says that after Christ healed him, that he was clothed and in his right mind. This man, naked man, ran up to Jesus. He was bloodied because he was always cutting himself with stone. Secondly, and think about this, he lived among the tombs. He lived in a graveyard. He lived among the dead. Third, he was uncontrollable. There are probably 
chains hanging on his wrist as he approached Jesus Christ and the disciples and says in verses 3 and 4 that no one, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles. What power! Fourth, I think the implication is the people gave up on him. The people had given up. They tried to bind him. They, they gave up. They had written him off. He was a hopeless cause. They were completely done with this man. Fifth, we don't see this often. This man was in a lot of pain. He was in a lot of pain. Night and day, verse 5 says, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. We saw early in 3 and 4 the danger that he posed to others, but in verse 5 we see that he was miserable. He was desperate. A lot of pain. Days and nights. Not even to sleep. Because he was crying out day and night. And sixth thing I want us to remember is he was filled with self-hatred. His self-hatred was so great that he actually cut himself with stones. And there are moments of clarity when he was lucid and could think. I wonder if he realized how repulsive he was and how unloved and how unwelcome he was in the community. Man, absolute misery, completely isolated, alone, self-destructive, out of control, inner turmoil going on within. I describe him. I want to again say we're closer to this demoniac than we think. Sure, my struggles may not be as intense as his, but if we're honest, I think that every person in this room can relate to him in some way, maybe again in a much more subtle way. I think most of us have felt isolated and lonely at times. Maybe someone that you love who has loved you has written you off. Maybe you can't sleep at night because of pain and anxiety. Maybe you're so weighed down with guilt, anxiety, shame, that you can't sleep. And some nights you cry yourself to sleep. Maybe this morning you're tormented. Maybe this morning you're addicted to something and you can't see yourself living without it. Maybe you don't allow yourself to eat. Maybe you starve your body in order to look in a certain way. Maybe you're filled with self-hatred this morning. So much so that you inflict pain on yourself. Maybe 
this inner turmoil going on within you. Maybe you're filled with fear and worry and rage. Maybe all these emotions are controlling you and you don't know how to end it all. You don't know how to shut it off. You see, we're much closer to this man than we initially thought. Can't help but think about Christ as he got off the boat and this man run toward he and the disciples. Can you imagine a naked man or a half-naked man coming with blood and with chains possibly? And can you imagine how he smelled? Can you imagine the stench? What would you have done? I think probably I'd have run the other way. I'd probably run the other way. If I didn't, my composure would not have been there. I'd been freaked out, probably. But Jesus, Jesus didn't cringe. He didn't recoil. He didn't flinch. He didn't shudder. He didn't withdraw. Jesus was not afraid of this man. Jesus actually enters into this man's life and then to enter his pain. Remember again, it was Jesus' idea to go across the lake because he had a purpose and a plan to meet this man. Question for you this morning. What did you bring into the room this morning with you? Jesus is not afraid of your brokenness. He's not afraid of my brokenness. He pursues us. He pursues us in our brokenness. He pursues us even as we're bruised by sin. Christ pursued the tax collector. Tax pursued, or rather, Christ pursued the tax collector. He pursued the prostitute. He pursued this demoniac. You see, we're never too bad for Jesus Christ. Well, we've seen the depth of sin's destruction on our lives Next, I want us to see the deliverance that Jesus Christ provided from sin. In verse 6, we see the, that the man runs to meet Christ, falling at his feet, crying out in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, by God, do not torment me. This demoniac knew who Jesus was. He didn't need... An introduction to Jesus. No one had to go up to him and say, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The man knew it. He knew it. He knows his position. Jesus, Son of the Most High. Secondly, he knows his name. Well, this man's name was Legion. It says, for we're many. Legion was a military term, and in the Roman uh, army, a legion, was around 6,000 or over. So maybe this name is a reference to the number, the large number of demons. In verses 10 through 13, the demons request permission to enter the herd of pigs that are feeding nearby. And Jesus gives them permission and they enter into the pigs. In verse 13, we read, the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Someone has said 
that the Sea of Galilee turned into the original Bay of Pigs. Not to be outdone, someone else says, I bet this was the first ever recorded swine dive, as opposed to swan dive. Hey. Some, some have complained about Jesus sending these pigs to their deaths. But it wasn't Jesus who sent them to their death. Some, like Bertrand Russell, an atheist philosopher many years ago, cites this reason for him not being a Christian. He says it's a waste of animals. But maybe, maybe, maybe Christ allowed this to happen to show the value of one person over 2,000 animals. Think about one person over 2,000 animals. A culture today will be quick to tell you that animals are on the same level with man. That's what God's Word says. Secondly, maybe it was to show the real and ultimate goal of demons possessing a man. It's his destruction because the animals were immediately destroyed. And third, maybe it was to show Jesus' power over evil spirits. Jesus didn't flinch. He didn't sweat. He wasn't worried. When those few hours after leaving the shore on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the day before, the disciples had seen Jesus Christ's power over the weather and over the waves. Then they saw Jesus' power over the power of evil. We've seen first the depth of the destruction from sin. And secondly, we've seen we see the ability of Christ to restore and transform our lives. Verses 14 and 15, we read, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city, in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw this demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. We see the man who was demon-possessed totally transformed, completely restored. He was sitting, it says, clothed in his right mind. The parallel passage in Luke chapter 8 reads that he was sitting at Jesus' feet. Sitting at Jesus' feet. Isn't that a beautiful picture? This man who was wild and crazy and cutting himself and naked, whom everybody was afraid of, was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed, <laughs> completely, perfectly sane, sitting at his feet. Jesus comes in this man's life and makes him human again. Jesus comes in this man's life with grace and mercy and love. Christ meets this man at his lowest point when he's totally broken, 
in pain. And he undoes the way sin wrecks a man's life or wrecks a woman's life. And he begins that process of removing the pain and the brokenness in his life. He completely restores this man. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life and in my life. He comes into our lives and he brings us peace and calmness and wholeness. And he brings us back to our right mind. He brings us back to sanity. Isn't that what you want? To endure your brokenness, to rewrite your story. I don't know all your stories. I know some of your stories. We all have stories. We have stories. We have stories for Christ came into our lives as he pursues us. And he transforms us. And he restores us. And he makes us human again. Just as he did this man. Jesus wants to rewrite our story. And as we think about this, who, whom have you given up, given up on? Maybe a spouse? Maybe a child? Maybe a sibling? Or a parent? Or a co-worker? You tried and tried and tried? I think this passage teaches us, if nothing else, it teaches us to not give up. If Jesus can rewrite this man's story, he can rewrite anyone's story. We need Jesus in our lives to heal and to transform and to restore us. He pursues us. And as we yield to him, he transforms us. And he gives us value that we didn't have before. Just as he did this demoniac. This demoniac had been a slave to Satan. Just as you and I were before Christ. Who was delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He was wild and uncontrollable. And after his encounter with Jesus Christ, he was sitting at Jesus' feet. Once he was an instrument of Satan, afterwards a witness of Christ and his power to transform and to bring healing. Once he was naked, and afterwards clothed and sane. Once he was a minister to society, and afterwards he was a messenger of God's grace in Christ Jesus that transforms and renews and restores. You see, sin destroys and Christ restores and transforms. Satan blinds us, making us think that we're free and independent without Christ, when in reality the truth is, is that he binds us, making us slaves. This morning, I want us to remember there's no real freedom outside of Jesus Christ. May he transform us in our lives so that people see Jesus Christ in us. First, we've seen the depth of sin's destruction. We've seen Christ's delivery. Third, the difference 
that Christ made in transforming this man's life. And finally, I want us to look at the decisions that were made. Choosing Christ or rejecting Christ. First, we see the response of the community. In verses 15 through 17, it says that they came to Jesus and they saw this man, the one who had had legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they began to beg him to leave. They began to beg him to leave. You see the response of the people in town. They came back. They saw this man who'd been demon-possessed sitting at Jesus' feet in his right mind. Before he'd been naked. Now he's clothed. Before he'd been out of his mind. Now he was sane. Jesus had cast the demon out and brought healing and transformation. And the response of the town people, they were afraid. And they begged Jesus to leave. They didn't care that Jesus had just healed and restored this man. Why did they reject him? It doesn't clearly say. It could have been just out of fear to see someone in his power do what he did. Or it could have been financial. 2,000 pigs were worth a lot of money. But they chose to reject Christ after having seen his power. Secondly, we see the response of this former demoniac. Verse 18 says that as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had, had mercy on you. And he went home and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This man was so grateful that he wanted to go with Christ. But Christ said, no, go home. Go home and tell your people about the mercy and grace that you have received. And sure enough, he went home and people were amazed. For us today, the horrifying experience of this legion should be sufficient enough a testimony of the reality of Satan in his underworld. We should know that Scripture is very clear that we're in this spiritual warfare. The scene here that Mark paints in the Gospel is very dark. It's, I think, very deliberately dark. We see that dark side of Satan exposed in this story. But maybe in some places that's not so much the usual side we see of Satan. Satan's most effective tool is not this demoniac wandering around wild, is it? His most effective tool is that outstanding, upright, moral, re religious person who does good deeds without Jesus. As has been said before, look no further than Satan's man behind the pulpit. The man who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who doesn't teach God's word, who influences hundreds and maybe thousands of people, blinding them to the truth of God's word. Just this past weekend, I was told the story of, uh, from a woman who visited a church 
And she sat in a Sunday school class, and she happened to be the widow of the former pastor. And it was around Christmas time, and they were talking about the story of Jesus and how he came to earth, and she said, Jesus wasn't God. It doesn't make any difference that he was or wasn't God. And the person was new to the church and did all she could to hold her tongue. You see, Satan uses people to distort. They don't look like this demoniac. We need to know the whole word of God. We need to be able to understand it. We need to be able to stand on it. Each of us also must make a decision about Jesus Christ. And we need to remember, no one is outside of the grace of God. Christ pursues us. He transforms us as we yield our lives to him. He gives us value. Christ meets us at our lowest point. And brokenness. He, under, he, he undoes all that sin has done to us. He removes that pain and bitterness and brokenness. He restores us. And each of us must make that decision. And like the residents, we can allow material things and finances to affect that. They made a choice. If it was because of financial reasons, they chose material things over Christ and his power to restore. Sure, the loss of the 2,000 pigs was a great amount, but the loss of Jesus Christ and the peace and the hope and the joy and the love that he brings is far more. We see Christ. Christ came into life with this demoniac with love and grace and mercy, along with his power to transform and to restore. In the midst of your life, maybe with physical pain, maybe with disappointment, maybe confusion, emotional hurt, I encourage you to run. Run to Jesus, not from him. He's waiting for you to make that choice today. If you've never trusted Christ, do that first. But for those of us who are believers, he's waiting for us. He's longing for us to come to him with our hurt and with our pain. We can be sure that he desires to be in our lives. Well, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this story. Father, this man who was controlled by large number of demons. Father, all too often we think of the stories about this demoniac. And yet, Father, so very clear, it's all about you. It's about Jesus Christ and his power. His power to transform. Oh, Father, we ask, Lord, that you would be working in our lives, Father, that you would remind us that in our brokenness, Lord, we can come to you. And, Father, that you desire to meet us right where we are. Encourage us, we pray, as we start this new year. In Christ's name, amen.